Chapter thirty seven of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter thirty seven The Villa at Sorrento. In one of the most sequestered nooks of Sorrento, almost escarped out of the rocky cliff and half hid in the foliage of orange and oleander trees, stood the little villa of the Princess Sablukov. The blue sea washed the white marble terrace before the windows, and the arbutus, whose odor scented the drawing-room, dipped its red berries in the glassy water. The wildest and richest vegetation abounded on every side. Plants and shrubs of tropical climes mingled with the hardier races of northern lands, and the cedar and the plantain blended their leaves with the sycamore and the ilex, while, as if to complete the admixture, birds and beasts of remote countries were gathered together, and the bustard, the ape, and the antelope mixed with the peacock the chamois and the golden pheasant the whole represented one of those capricious exhibitions by which wealth so often associates itself with the beautiful and despite all errors in taste succeeds in making a spot eminently lovely so was it there was often light where a painter would have wished shadow there were gorgeous flowers where a poet would have desired nothing beyond the blue heather bell there were startling effects of view managed where chance glimpses through the trees had been infinitely more picturesque there was in fact the obtrusive sense of richness in a thousand ways and places where mere unadorned nature had been far preferable and yet with all these faults sea and sky rock and foliage the scented air the silence only broken by the tuneful birds the rich profusion of color upon a sward strewn with flowers made of the spot a perfect paradise in a richly decorated room whose three windows opened on a marble terrace sat the princess it was december but the sky was cloudless the sea a perfect mirror, and the light air that stirred the leaves soft and balmy as the breath of May. Her dress was in keeping with the splendor around her. A rich robe of yellow silk fastened up the front with large carbuncle buttons. Sleeves of deep Valenciennes lace fell far over her jeweled fingers, and a scarf of golden embroidery negligently thrown over an arm of her chair gave what a painter would call the warm color to a very striking picture farther from the window and carefully protected from the air by a screen sat a gentleman whose fur-lined police and velvet skull-cap showed that he placed more faith in the almanac than in the atmosphere from his cork-soled boots to his shawl muffled about the throat all proclaimed that distrust of the weather 
that characterizes the invalid. No treachery of a hot sun, no seductions of that inveterate cheat, a fine day in winter, could inveigle Sir Horace Upton into any forgetfulness of his precautions. He would have regarded such as a palpable weakness on his part, a piece of folly perfectly unbecoming in a man of his diplomatic standing and ability. He was writing and smoking and talking by turns, the table before him being littered with papers, and even the carpet at his feet, strewn with the loose sheets of his composition. There was not in his air any of the concentration or even seriousness of a man engaged in an important labor, and yet the work before him employed all his faculties, and he gave to it the deepest attention of abilities, of which very few possessed the equal. To great powers of reasoning, and a very strong judgment, he united a most acute knowledge of men, not exactly of mankind in the mass, but of that especial order with whom he had habitually to deal. Stolid, commonplace stupidity might puzzle or embarrass him, while for any amount of craft, for any degree of subtlety, he was an overmatch. The plain matter-of-fact intelligence occasionally gained a slight advantage over him at first. The trained and polished mind of the most astute negotiator was a book he could read at sight. It was his especial tact to catch up all this knowledge at once, very often in a first interview, and thus, while others were interchanging the customary platitudes of everyday courtesy, he was gleaning and recording within himself the traits and characteristics of all around him. A clever fellow, very clever fellow, said a Sally, said he, as he continued to write. His proposition is certain commercial advantages, and that we, on our side, leave him alone to deal his own way with his own rabble. I see nothing against it, so long as they continue to be rabble. But grubs grow into butterflies, and very vulgar populace have now and then emerged into what are called liberal politicians. Only where you have the blessing of a free press, said the princess, in a tone of insolent mockery. Quite true, princess, a free press is a tonic that, with an increased dose, becomes a stimulant, and occasionally overexcites. It makes your people drunk now and then, she said angrily. They always sleep it off overnight said he softly. They very rarely pay even the penalty of the morning headache for the excess, which is exactly why it will not answer in our warmer latitudes. Ours is a cold one, and I'm sure it would not suit us. I'm not so certain of that, said he languidly. I think it eminently calculated for a people who don't know how to read. She would have smiled at that remark 
if the sarcasm had not offended her my lordship will therefore see muttered he reading to himself as he wrote that in yielding this point we are while apparently making a concession in reality obtaining a very considerable advantage rather an english habit i suspect said she smiling picked up in the course of our baltic trade princess in sending us your skins you smuggled in some of your sentiments and russian tallow has enlightened the nation in more ways than one you need it all my dear chevalier said she with a saucy smile harzowich told me that your diplomatic people were inferior to those of the third-rate german states that in fact they never had any information i know what he calls information princess and his remark is just our government is shockingly mean and never would keep up a good system of spies spies if you mean by an odious word to inculpate the honor of a high calling pray forgive my interruption but i am speaking in all good faith when i said spy it was in the bankrupt misery of a man who had nothing else to offer i wanted to imply that pure but small stream which conveys intelligence from a fountain to a river it was not meant to feed wasn't that a carriage i hear in the court oh pray don't open this window there's an odious libaccio blowing to-day and there's nothing so injurious to the nervous system a cabinet messenger your excellency said a servant entering what a bore i hoped i was safe from a despatch for at least a month to come i really believe they have no veneration for old institutions in england they don't even celebrate christmas i'm charmed at the prospect of a bag cried the princess may i have the messenger shown in here princess certainly by all means happy to see your excellency hope your ladyship is in good health said a smart-looking young fellow who wore a much frogged pelisse and sported a very well-trimmed moustache ah stevens how do you do said upton you've had a cold journey over the sennies came by the spludgeon your excellency i went round by vienna and maurice esterhazy took me as far as milan the princess stared with some astonishment that the messenger should thus familiarly style one of the great family was indeed matter of wonderment to her nor was it lessened as upton whispered to her asked him to dine and london how is it very empty stevens continued he a desert was the answer where's lord adderley at brighton the king can't do without him greatly to adderley's disgust for he is dying to have a week's shooting in the highlands and cantworth where is he he's off for vienna and a short trip to hungary i met him at dinner at the mess while waiting for the dover packet by the way i saw a friend of your excellency's harcourt 
not gone to india no they've made him a governor or commander-in-chief of something in the mediterranean i forget exactly where or what you have brought me a mighty bag stevens said upton sighing i had hoped for a little ease and rest now that the house is up they are all blue books i believe replied stevens there's that blacking your excellency wrote about and the cricket bats the lathe must come out by the frigate and the down mattress at the same time just do me the favor to open the bag my dear stevens i am utterly without aid here said upton sighing drearily and the other proceeded to litter the table and the floor with a variety of strange and incongruous parcels report of factory commissioners cried he throwing down a weighty quarto yarmouth bloaters atkinson's cerulean paste for the eyebrows worcester sauce trade returns for tahiti a set of shoemaking tools eight bottles of darby's pyloric corrector buffalo flesh brushes devilish hard they seem hume's speech on the reduction of foreign legations novels from bulls top boots for tiger and a mass of letters said stevens throwing them broadcast over the sofa no despatches cried upton eagerly not one by jove said stevens open one of those darbies i'll take a teaspoonful at once will you try it stevens thanks your excellency i never take physic well you dine here then said he with a sly look at the princess not to-day your excellency i dine with grammont at eight then i'll not detain you come back here to-morrow about eleven or a little later come to breakfast if you like at what hour i don't know at any hour sighed upton as he opened one of his letters and began to read and stevens bowed and withdrew totally unnoticed and unrecognized as he slipped from the room one after another upton threw down after reading half a dozen lines muttering some indistinct syllables over the dreary stupidity of letter-writers in general occasionally he came upon some pressing appeal for money some urgent request for even a small remittance by the next post and these he only smiled at while he refolded them with a studious care and neatness why will you not help me with this chaos dear princess said he at last i am only waiting to be asked said she but i feared that there might be secrets from you said he with a voice of deep tenderness while his eyes sparkled with an expression far more like raillery than affection the princess however had not either seen or not heeded it for she was already deep in the correspondence this is strictly private am i to read it said she of course said he bowing courteously and she read dear upton let us have a respite from the tariffs and trade talk for a month or two and tell me rather what the world is doing around you we have never got the right of that story about the princess celestine as yet who was he not labinsky i'll be sworn the k insists was roville and i hope you may be able to assure me 
that he is mistaken. He is worse tempered than ever. That Glencore business has exasperated him greatly. Couldn't your princess, the world calls her yours. How good of the world and how delicate of your friend, said she, smiling superciliously. Let us see who the writer is. Oh, a great man, the Lord Adderley, and went on with her reading. Couldn't your princess find out something of the real consequences to us about the cue? What queen does he mean? cried she, stopping. The queen of Sheba, perhaps, said Upton, biting his lips with anger, while he made an attempt to take the letter from her. Pardon? This is interesting, said she, and went on. We shall want it soon, that is, if the manufacturing districts will not kindly afford us a diversion by some open-air demonstrations and a collision with the troops. We have offered them a most taking bait by announcing wrongfully the departure of six regiments for India, thus leaving the large towns in the north apparently ungarrisoned. They are such poltroons that the chances are they'll not bite. You were right about Emerson. We have made his brother a bishop, and he voted with us on the arms bill. Cole is a sterling patriot and an old Whig. He says nothing shall seduce him from his party save a lordship of the admiralty. Corruption everywhere, my dear Upton, except on the treasury benches. Holcroft insists on being sent to Petersburg, and having ascertained that the emperor will not accept him, I have induced the K to nominate him to the post. Non culpa nostra, etc. He can scarcely vote against us after such an evidence of our good will. Find out what will give most umbrage to your court, and I will tell you why in my next. Don't bother yourself about the Greeks. The time is not come yet, nor will it till it suit our policy to loosen the ties with Russia. As to France, there is not, nor will there be, in our time at least, any government there. We must deal with them as with a public meeting, which may reverse to-morrow the resolutions they have adopted to-day. The French will never be formidable till they are unanimous. They'll never be unanimous till we declare war with them. Remember, I don't want anything serious with Sinicelli. Irritate and worry as much as you can. Send even for a ship or two for Malta, but go no farther. I want this for our radicals at home. Our own friends are in the secret. Write me a short despatch about our good relations with the two Sicilies, and send me some news in a private letter. Let me have some Oriolans in the bag, and believe me yours, Adderley. There, she said, turning over a number of letters, with a mere glance at their contents. These are all trash, shooting and fox-hunting news, which one reads in the newspapers better, or at least more briefly, narrated with all that death and marriage intelligence, which you English are so fond of parading before the world. But what is this literary gem here? Where did the paper come from? And that wonderful seal! 
and still more wonderful address to his worshipful excellency the truly worthy and right honorable sir horace upton plenipotentiary negotiator and extraordinary diplomatist living at naples what can it mean said he languidly you shall hear said she breaking the massive seal of green wax which to the size of a crown-piece ornamented one side of the epistle it is dated schwartz tyrol and begins venerated and reverend excellency when these unsymmetrically designed and not more ingeniously conceived syllables let us see his name said she stopping suddenly and turning to the last page read w t vulg billy trainer a name cognate to your worshipful eminence in times past to be sure i remember him perfectly a strange creature that came out here with that boy you heard me speak of pray read on i stopped at syllables yes when these curiously conceived syllables then come under the visionary apertures of your acute understanding they will disclose to your much reflecting and nice discriminating mind as cruel and murderous a deed as ever a miscreant imagination suggested to a diabolically constructed and nefariously fashioned organization showing that nature in her bland adaptiveness never imposes a mistaken fruit on a genuine arborescence do you understand him asked she partly perhaps continued he let us have the subject not to weary your exalted and never enough to be esteemed intelligence i will proceed without further ambiguous or circumgyratory of allusions to the main body of my allegation it happened in this way charlie your venerated worship knows who i mean charlie ever deep in marmoreal pursuits and far progressed in sculptural excellence with a genius that phidias if he did not envy would esteem really i cannot go on with these interminable parentheses said she you must decipher them yourself upton took the letter and read it at first hastily and then recommencing with more of care and attention occasionally stopping to reflect and consider the details this is likely to be a troublesome business said he this boy has got himself into a serious scrape love and a duel are bad enough but an austrian state prison and a sentence of twenty years in irons are even worse so far as i can make out from my not over-lucid correspondent he had conceived a violent affection for a young lady at massa to whose favor a young austrian of high rank at the same time pretended wahnsdorf i'm certain broke in the princess and the girl that mademoiselle harley interposed sir horace just so harley pray go on said she eagerly a very serious altercation and a duel were the consequences of this rivalry and wahnsdorf has been dangerously wounded his life is still in peril 
the harleys have been sent out of the country and my unlucky protege handed over to the austrians has been tried condemned and sentenced to twenty years in kaufstein a tyrol fortress where great severity is practised from the neighbourhood of which this letter is written entreating my speedy interference and protection what can you do it is not even within your jurisdiction said she carelessly true nor was the capture by the austrians within theirs princess it is the case where assuredly everybody was in the wrong and therefore admirably adapted for nice negotiation who and what is the youth i have called him a protege he has no more tender claim to the affectionate solicitude of sir horace upton said she with an easy air of sarcasm none on my honor said he eagerly none at least of the kind you infer he is a very sad story which i'll tell you about another time for the present i may say that he is english and that as such must be protected by the english authorities the government of massa have clearly committed a great fault in handing him over to the austrians stuber must be brought to book for this in the first instance by this we shall obtain a perfect insight into the whole affair the imperial family will never forgive an insult offered to one of their own blood said the princess haughtily we shall not ask them to forgive anything my dear princess we shall only prevent their natural feelings betraying them into an act of injustice the boy's offence whatever it was occurred outside the frontier as i apprehend how delightful you english are when you can convert an individual case into an international question you would at any moment sacrifice an ancient alliance to the trumpery claim of an aggrieved tourist said she rising angrily and swept out of the room ere sir horace could arise to open the door for her upton walked slowly to the chimney and rang the bell i shall want the calash and post-horses at eight o'clock antoine put up some things for me and get all my furs ready and with this he measured forty drops from a small file he carried in his waistcoat pocket and sat down to pare his nails with a very diminutive penknife chapter thirty seven